0: we're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation.
1: Science, logic, reason. Do you
0: have any hard
2: data? Now, that's what I call science. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are gathering to record this episode. We recognise the ongoing contributions that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are making to the sciences. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast that brings independent and interesting STEM, science, technology, engineering and maths content from Tasmania to your ears on a load of different platforms wherever you get your podcast. But we're proudly supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium youth station. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on the good community radio stuff that is going on there. My name is Neve Chapman and I'm joined by my co-host Hannah McCleary and in the studio with us we have Dr. David Marino who is a shark and ray ecologist. So I'm really interested to learn about this because I know nothing about sharks because I don't come from Australia or anywhere where there is sharks, we don't have many Mm -hmm. sharks in Ireland and I know nothing about rays so I feel like I'm going to really be learning a lot today. So David is from the University of Tasmania um, but you're originally from Mexico?
0: I am, yes. Whereabouts in Mexico? Uh, Mexico City. Oh, wow. Okay, so like that that's a huge city. Correct, and as landlocked as you can get.
2: Yeah, so it must be pretty different coming to somewhere like Tasmania then. Uh, quite, yes. Yeah, when did you move? Did you move here specifically for your PhD?
0: Uh, no, I've been in Australia for about 11 years now. Okay, uh, cool. I did my undergrad and my honours here as well.
2: Awesome. So you're loving life on the island state? Yeah, correct. <laughs> that's awesome. So the fancy word for being a skate and shark ecologist is elasmobranch.
0: Elasmobranch.
2: Elasmobranch. Okay, that's a really funky word. <laughs> um, which is essentially studying the populations and how they adapt to challenging environment conditions and how those adaptions influence their movement, behaviour and lifestyle. So essentially you're just looking at both sharks and skate and then how they interact with their environment and what things influence their behaviour
0: uh correct so behavior and uh sort of the population dynamics um uh yep yeah, in response to any sort of environmental changes and uh, things that might be going on around them cool
1: yeah um great so to start off with david um do you want to give us a quick outline of the work you do and what aspects of sharks and rays you're particularly interested in
0: uh yep yeah. so um i mean my background is is a bit more broad than that it it's overall as, as a fisheries ecologist and uh, uh, I've sort of been very lucky to work with these animals and and have ended up specialising on them. Uh, they're pretty special because uh, even though they're fish, they behave a lot more like mammals. They're they tend to be very long lived and have uh, few pups, uh, so that makes them. Uh, kind of very vulnerable to things like overexploitation and stuff like that, so their dynamics are very interesting and and they're not as well understood as, as other fish populations. Uh, so that's one of the things that we try to do. We try to figure out how uh, changing environments, uh, whether that be climate or or habitats um, might have an effect on them as uh, these long lives and, and slow cycles mean that they naturally have a lower capacity to adapt.
2: So does that mean that because they live longer, they're exposed potentially to environmental changes more gradually over time, but also that because they're not like... Would other species of fish or marine life evolve more rapidly to changing environments because their you know their life course is shorter and therefore as they pass on new genes, they can adapt quicker or not yeah so much? correct
0: so that that's sort of the the basic theory of it, and of course it's an oversimplification and there's exceptions around it uh, but yeah, in general, if you're something like a squid that takes about a year to grow to full maturity and then when they reproduce, they have tens of thousands of babies, uh, you can imagine how uh, that lends itself really well to adapt to quick changes in the environment uh, on the other side if, if it takes you 20 years to reach sexual maturity and then you only have one or two pups at a time then uh, that just means that like you're saying uh, there's less opportunity for for genetic recombination and adaptation so it just takes them a bit longer
2: so do you specialize in a specific type of shark or like just generally sharks because can some sharks live to like several hundred years of age
0: yeah, so now we know that uh, uh, things like Greenland sharks, uh, uh, we believe they can live up to 400 years, wow. which is crazy. It's it's definitely the longest living vertebrate.
1: Um, so, David, what ma- motivated you to study marine science and um, sort of sharks and rays in particular?
0: I was cheating a little bit like th- with that because I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be a marine biologist. <laughs> really? Uh, yes. That's cool. <laughs> I, I think I, I came up with the idea when I was like five and then I just oh. never uh uh left me uh
2: (laughs) how did that happen in like a landlocked place it's it's
0: unusual isn't it um i think it started uh from a very uh, as unusual as it sounds a very early love for dinosaurs and then uh uh, thinking about things i might want to do when i grew up i was like well dinosaurs are cool there's none of them around so uh (laughs) where else can i find big stuff with pointy teeth <laughs> and uh, and that sort of naturally led to yeah uh marine science and sharks and things like that and then i just stuck with it i just never grew out of it that's awesome so
2: i forgot to ask in the last question so do rays live as long as sharks
0: some of them do uh yeah and i I should have said at the beginning, uh, the whole Elasmobranch thing, that's just because uh, what rays and sharks and chimeras actually have in common, uh, all this group uh, called Chondrichthyes, is that uh, their skeletons are made of cartilage. So that's what makes them unique, and that's what makes them related. So they don't have like any solid bones? Uh, there is some bone-like cartilage uh, in the teeth, for example. Uh, but that's, for example, why you don't see in museums uh, fossils of uh, very old sharks, even though we know that they've been around for about 400 million years. Ah, uh, because cartilage doesn't fossilize as easily.
2: So is that because cartilage is like more porous than bone?
0: Yeah, correct. It's it's sort of the same building blocks, but but it's not quite bone.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I never thought that that would impact what kind of fossils we have. But obviously, it wouldn't. It would have less
0: material to decay over time. Yeah, because so that's so it's why it's very common to get shark teeth as fossils. But that's about it. That's all you get
2: huh that's pretty cool i also like that because you're interested in dinosaurs you went for like next best thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um that's awesome you've been listening to that's what i call science and we have been chatting about sharks and rays with our expert guest dr david marino and my co-host Hannah McCleary. i'm neve chapman and stay tuned for more shark goodness You're listening to That's What I Call Science and today we are talking about sharks. My name is Neve Chapman and I'm joined with my co-host Hannah McCleary along with our expert guest doctor David Marino from the University of Tasmania. So we've been learning a little bit about the things that inspired David to get into marine science and particularly studying sharks and
1: rays but I suppose we kind of want to know maybe what he's doing now. Yeah David, so um, do you want to just talk about what sort of study you're currently involved in here in Tassie? Uh, Yep,
0: so I originally moved down here to do my PhD and, uh, and that was looking at a very specific uh, population of uh, small sharks that lives in Macquarie Harbour in the west coast of, of Tasmania. And that was part of a larger study that was looking at the Mogean Skate. Uh, the Mogean Skate is uh, microendemic that exists nowhere but in that region. Uh, microendemic, so does that mean yes. like it's
2: only in one specific Correct, so it's, it's
0: uniquely Tasmanian. Wow. And uh, not only that, but it it's actually restricted uh, that we know of uh, to only two estuaries: Bathurst and Macquarie Harbour. Wow. Uh, having said that, uh, it hasn't been seen in Bathurst Harbour in a very very long time—about 25 years. Uh, so it's likely that that the only place where it can be found now is just this one very specific estuary.
2: Wow. So what were you looking at specifically with those rays?
0: So this animal was actually only discovered and, and described first to science in and discovered in 1998 uh, uh, and then first described in 2007 as a separate species. And uh, so when I first got here, uh, the study that was going on was really the first effort at all to try to learn anything about them. Uh, you can imagine that when you live in a very specific habitat, uh, that very small range just naturally makes you endangered uh, because it means that you're extremely dependent on that environment and any massive changes could result uh, not on only losing a couple animals but losing the entire population Uh, and the entire population is the entire species so uh, that makes them very vulnerable but also very interesting Uh, and uh, we know that as part of that study looking at the skate we were going to be encountering a lot of uh, these little dogfish sharks that everyone knew lived there and they are the extreme opposite of uh, what the skate are uh, they are probably the most abundant shark in the world. They've been studied in several populations all over the world. Uh, but funnily enough, never in Australia. We, we knew very little about them here. And they are very reliable in that they're very consistent. All populations tend to do kind of the same thing everywhere. Uh, so it was an interesting point of contrast to have a look at what they were doing here. Cause Macquarie what kind Hover, of things do they do? So uh, just in terms of their biology and their life ecology. So we know, for example, that they migrate very long distances. Uh, They tend to segregate by sex. So males and females uh, live in different places, and they school together. Uh, They only get together to mate once a year. So basically, all females in the population are pregnant at the same time. Uh, They have one of the longest gestation cycles on any vertebrate, about two years. The females are pregnant. And for a long time, we actually thought they were the longest living sharks uh, because they live up to 100 years. Uh, We we now know that that's not even close to the (laughs) longest living. Uh, Yeah, so there's all these population dynamics that are very similar. Uh, So that presented a really good opportunity because if you're interested like me on on trying to work out how specific environments have affected the life history and the behavior and ecology of these populations, then uh, by looking at something that is very consistent that lives in a very different environment, then those little differences can tell you a lot.
2: That's really cool. So I have a couple of questions. Question one, do the skate and the sharks like... Do they compete together? Where do they sit on this food chain? Like, would the sharks eat the skate, or would they eat the same things, and how much are they in
0: competition? So that's one of the questions that we had uh, uh, from the get-go, because the sharks tend to be uh, uh, super abundant. From some early fishing surveys, we knew that uh, they were by far the most abundant thing in the harbor. And the harbor itself is is incredibly unique and has very little diversity. Uh, What we find out now is that uh, the skate are actually one of the... Well, it's the only skate species in the world that is exclusively brackish water. What does that mean? Uh, So that means that they can live in, in not quite salt and not quite fresh water. Okay. They can uh, sort of go in between, uh, whereas a shark is actually only uh, a marine species. So what happens is that because you have several rivers, the King and the Gordon coming into Macquarie Harbor, all the fresh water, which is less dense, stays at the surface and creates a distinct layer of fresh water. And then the bottom is, is salt water. So uh, that natural division, even though there's no real physical barriers... Uh, sort of separates them and 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 they very rarely come together so my second question
2: was um, if these types of skate are so endemic to the waters in Tasmania into that one location I'm supposing this would be population dependent but would you not look at repopulating them elsewhere like maybe reintroducing them to the location that they're no longer in
0: yeah, so so repopulation, uh, uh, reintroduction of a species is always a very, a very tricky thing. And, and you want to make sure that you're not messing something else up in the ecosystem by doing it. Uh, one of the main things that, that this entire 10 years of skate work has been centered about is trying to work out how the skate are doing and whether they actually need some help and whether we need to be looking at programs like that. And, uh, and that's one of our main interests right now, trying to work out uh, a, a way of assessing the population and how well they're doing, how they're responding to specific things. But yes, potentially, if, if it uh, turned out that they need that help, uh, I think uh, either some sort of uh, maybe program for captive breeding or uh, like has been done with the devils or something like that might be doable.
1: So with the world's climate dramatically changing at a fast rate, obviously your study must be extremely relevant at the moment. Um, is climate change a big concern for shark and skate and ray species? Um, have you been able to notice how they react to warming habitats in any way?
0: Yeah, so that that's a very, very good question. And uh, that's one of the things uh, that a lot of people all over the world are trying to work out with all sorts of species. Um, with sharks, uh, we do know from studies all over the world that have done tracking that... Uh, the primary way that they, they, they do tend to have preferred temperatures and preferred ranges. So the way that these species tend to deal with uh, changing climate is uh, by altering their behavior. They tend to go somewhere else, uh, which is, if you think about it, sort of the best response you can have. Uh, so that means that species, uh, what that means for the long term in Tasmania, for example, is that species that uh, previously were restricted to other ranges are starting to migrate further south and further south. So we are, we're starting to see species that, are a bit more subtropical, more more uh, usually associated with the mainland, uh, starting to come further down and down. What I'm more interested in is the non-climate-driven changes, because that's something that usually gets ignored. Uh, so for animals like uh, these who are so dependent in an estuary, uh, other human impacts like habitat destruction, mm-hmm. uh, pollution, things like that can have a very important localized effect.
2: So what kind of changes do you see or adaptations based on human interruptions to ecosystems?
0: Uh, this was very unexpected. Uh, they, they tend to be very predictable because they do the same thing everywhere. Uh, what I found in my PhD is that every single thing that I decided to look at is different in here. Uh, they're, they're doing things behaviorally and uh, reproductively that are just completely different to anything we know about the species. And once it became clear that the diet was being uh, driven by by this uh, uh, scavenging from from human provided resources. and that uh, one of the things that we found is that uh, while everywhere else these things are migratory here, they actually in Macquarie Harbor all year round and males and females are together the whole time, uh, whereas everywhere else they actually just come together to mate and then separate. Uh, so you can imagine how that can have massive effects. So now, this uh, the, the research has really turned into trying to understand what the effects are. And yes, we're doing uh, a couple of traditional things like opening up and trying to analyze what's happening, uh, trying to come up with some clever uh, physiology experiments where we can actually test some of these things uh, by putting them in tanks and manipulating some stuff and then uh, trying to get creative as well. So one of the things that we just started doing, for example, is uh, uh, taking the vertebrae from the shark and, um, which are, again, not bone, but they are hard structures. And uh, more importantly, they're uh, inert once they're created. So that what that means is that uh, the chemistry of the cartilage as it's deposited doesn't change. Uh, but when it is being created, it does sort of incorporate elements from the surrounding environment. Uh, so it basically creates a nice little story of everywhere the animal has lived and what conditions have been like throughout its entire life. And in animals like these, it can leave 50, 60 years, uh, that's a data set that you could never get in any other way. So we're shooting them with lasers and uh, trying to work out what the microchemistry was along the entire life of the animal.
2: Wow, that's really cool. That's such a cool technique. You were talking about their social behaviors in terms of they don't segregate into male and female, they actually intermingle, which I'm assuming that would have huge changes in terms of their social interaction and cohabiting behaviors and, you know, I don't know much about shark behavior, but I would imagine that there's a way that the males act in a male group and the way that the females act and, you know, how pups are reared and all that kind of stuff. Have you noticed any, like, actual social changes in terms of, aggression? Yeah, so there's been
0: some very interesting uh, uh, outcomes from that. Um, First of all, uh, shark social interactions are are very much a thing that is just starting to be looked at. And and the reason for that is that it's a very hard thing to look at. Uh, In captivity, animals tend to not behave the way they do in the wild. And uh, anything in the ocean is just done. I, it's just a lot harder. So one of the things that we look at is, is putting electronic tags in the animals and trying to figure out how they're moving and how they're using space and, and by association how they're co-inhabiting with uh, the other sex and with other individuals. Uh, but things like satellite and radio tracks that uh, work for terrestrial ecologists that don't work underwater. Uh, so, so we are very limited by the technology. Uh, But what we have found is that um, it it always has been believed that this segregation of sexes in the species was uh, basically caused by females getting away from males to avoid harassment. Understandable. Uh, Correct. (laughs) Uh, But what we found in Macquarie Harbor was that actually uh, during half the year, even though they're still in the same area, they're still co-inhabiting, the males completely change their behavior and they start avoiding the females. And the reason for that is that the females are a good 20, 30 centimeters bigger. And they're probably uh, out competing the males for food, so the males are just trying to get away to to try to get ahead. So, so there's definitely some interesting dynamics here, and and uh, it's throwing a bit of a wrench into what we believed about why they segregate.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting, and it's also good that you touched on the technical aspects of that it is challenging to study behavior underwater yes (laughs) because we can't just you know set up video cameras everywhere and watch them for hours on end you've been listening to that's what i call science my name's neve chapman i'm joined in studio with my co-host hannah mccleary and dr david marino we've been talking about some endemic shark and skate species to tasmania and in just a moment we'll be talking about maybe what this means for in the future and uh, more of david's work so stay tuned You are listening to That's What I Call Science and we're talking about the ecology and behaviour of shark species. My name is Neve Chapman and I'm joined by my co-host Hannah McCleary along with our expert guest Dr David Marino from the University of Tasmania. So Hannah I believe you have a question for David.
1: Yeah so um, here in Tasmania um, you've worked with shark and skate species in Macquarie Harbour. Is there anything about this environment compared to other habitats that particularly make it interesting and unique? Uh,
0: yes, so everything about it is actually quite quite interesting, and that's not just because I work there. <laughs> uh, uh, so, like I said, there's a couple of really big rivers, the Gordon and the King, that that uh, uh, sort of come out in Macquarie Harbour, and uh, because the area is so enclosed, there's mm-hmm. very limited circulation with the ocean, so yeah. that creates that that differentiation in the water column where you have the fresh water on top that's very distinct and then the, the salt water in the bottom. Uh, but also because it's entirely surrounded by forest, um, you get all these humic substances, uh, tannins in the water, uh, which basically create, uh, the make the water look like tea and they block sunlight entirely. Uh, so you get very shallow uh, uh, light penetration. So beyond about three meters in Macquarie Harbor, it's pitch black. Uh, so basically what you get is very deep sea-like conditions at very shallow depths. And on top of that, the harbor is uh, very devoid of life. So there is very simple ecosystem. There's not a lot of uh, uh, species that, that live there. And you can imagine why. It, it's a very challenging environment with salt and fresh water changing in constantly. And uh, the poor circulation also means that it's actually quite naturally low in oxygen in the water. Uh, so th- that's one of the main things that is a really big challenge. Uh, so yeah, that's why it's so unusual to find two species two very large species of, of uh, uh, predatory fish that decided to uh, live there. That's
2: really, really cool. I'm just amazed that there's like so much that can change within a, an ecosystem or a marine ecosystem yeah. just because it's within an estuary and within a poet. That's really cool.
1: So I've noticed ever since I was younger, you know, I've always had an interest in sharks as well, but I've really noticed how they're quite misunderstood in mainstream media. Um, do you... Have any thoughts about how these creatures are portrayed in media? And have you ha- actually had any direct interactions with the species that you study?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so I spend a lot of time in the field, and uh, with this small, I mean, the species that I work with here are uh, are on the smaller side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've I've also been lucky enough to do other work uh, up in the tropics and in the Galapagos Islands, and I've interacted with with some of the larger species. Uh, and uh, yeah, like you say, uh, sharks unfortunately have a bit of a PR problem, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and there's a very simple reason for It's that, is that uh, 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 it, it sells, right? When you when you characterize every interaction that there is with a shark uh, in the most possible uh, uh, terrifying way, then then that that sells. That that's a good headline. Uh, so there's a very big disproportionate uh, uh, impact of of. Uh, the way that media portrays these things and and how prevalent it really is. Uh, When you think about the percentage of the human population that lives in the shorelines and uh, how many people conduct activities in the water, uh, it it really is a lot of interactions that probably are happening as people go into the marine environments. And uh, any sort of negative interaction between sharks and people are, are very, very rare.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: but you always hear about them and they get sensa- uh, sensationalized because uh, mm-hmm. that sells and uh, and there's a lot of uh, uh, politics and, and that's actually a fairly new thing. Uh, mm-hmm. If you go back even a hundred years, mm-hmm. uh, uh, this attitude towards sharks was not even there.
2: Mm. Isn't that really interesting? I find that fascinating because from a public health perspective, you know, I loathe whenever you see like massive amounts of funding being directed towards like preventative measures against yeah. shark attacks because I'm like, we could Definitely spend that money on something that's having yeah. a much bigger public health issue.
0: And well, and, and not only that, but, but unfortunately, uh, I mean, there are things that you can do to mitigate risk. But the the, the truth is that a lot of the measurements that are taken are uh, both ineffective and 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 very misguided in terms of the science behind it. Things like culling or, or mm-hmm. revenge killings of the shark uh, uh, tend to be quite ineffective. Uh and uh, they just look very flashy and they, they do for very good politics because it looks like you're doing something.
2: It's more about optics than it is about being Correct. effective and it just has massive implications for the species as a whole when it's not actually doing that much bad. I have a question for you. So I love trying to like unpack some of the mystery behind science. Mm-hmm. So can you talk us through what it's actually like to go out in the field and collect some of your data?
0: Yes, uh, certainly. It's... Um, it's actually a lot less glamorous than it might sound uh, to be a, a I do most of ecologist. my work on like a computer or with people, so yes. it's going to sound glamorous uh, to me. So <laughs> like most science, yes, most of the work happens in the lab or in the computer. But when, when the few days that we are lucky and we get to go out, uh, one of the biggest things that we do is uh, tracking, for example, putting electronic tracks in the animals. Uh, so we'll go, Macquarie Harbor is a, a remote site, so so usually we'll go up there for about a week uh, with a boat and go out and uh, we catch the sharks with, with regular fishing gear, using nets or, or long lines. Uh, we Of course, we use equipment that is going to maximize the welfare of the animals and we limit our soaking times a lot because we want the animals to be in a good shape when we catch them. Uh, and uh, these electronic tags that we use, for example, can be implanted in different ways. In the sharks, uh, we usually put them inside the body of the shark, so we do a small surgery on board. Uh, so we have an actual table in the boat with all the uh, sterile surgery equipment and, and human-grade sutures and all this stuff that we use. We make a small incision, put the tag in. Uh, we have, uh, I guess, uh, a reverse scuba apparatus, so uh, a respirator. So we're <laughs> pumping water into the shark uh, gills when it's out of the water That's so, uh, cool. so that mm. it can continue breathing. Uh, and then in about a minute, the procedure is done and the sharks go out That's back into the water.
2: That's crazy. So, do you have like a vet who does that, or have you been trained to do that?
0: Yeah, position? yeah. So, so we we as part of our training, we we actually have to get certified by a vet, and uh, all of our procedures are approved. Uh, we have to get animal ethics approval, and then once we have the procedure properly honed in, we've practiced either with with uh, fish that we get from from local fishermen and stuff like that that are already dead. Once we have it properly done, a vet will assess us and and if he deems us competent, then we can use it. Uh, that we can do the procedure.
2: That's so cool. So do you have to go
0: diving and stuff as well or not so much? Unfortunately, no, I don't get to dive a lot for my, for my work. Uh, there's other types of work that do, do require a lot more diving. Uh, but for the type of stuff that I look at, it, it really is about, uh, you cannot learn a lot about the animals in the long term by diving with them. If I was doing just little observations or something like that. And uh, in Macquarie Harbor, because it's so dark, it, it limits really what you can do in the water. So you unfortunately have to go and get the sharks out of the water.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. So that's pretty much all we've got time for. And thanks so much to our expert guest, Dr. David Marino, and to my co-host, Hannah, for all your prep work on the show today. My name is Niamh Chapman, and you've been listening to That's What I Call Science. We love bringing you science-related content and hope you enjoyed the show. If you did love the show, please do get in touch with us by searching That's What I Call Science or That's Science Taz on Facebook, Instagram, twitter or wherever you get your podcast if you are listening via podcast we'd love it if you could subscribe and give us a review as that really helps our content reach a wider audience our show is proudly supported by edge radio head to edgeradio.org.au for more info and i'd like to give a shout out to meredith castles and olivia holloway for their post-production and media comms work for the show that's all for this week keep spreading the good word of science and be well folks